0: we will do a very brief recap as we jump into this. It's a little bit of a long study. It's only three verses, but there's a, it's a pretty big study. So if you'll bear with me, I think you'll find that this is really important. It's, important. it's been important throughout history. You'll see why it was important to Paul, but it's important to us now um, as a church and as people in the way that we maintain a standard, which if I was going to put the title on this, I'd put maintaining the standard. Um, and you know, my thoughts on this, we don't maintain a standard or strive for holiness or do things in an effort to be saved, but we know who our creator is and we know how wonderful he is and we know the price that he paid for us. And because of that, we respond with obedience and love in a way that says, I am striving for the upward call that is Christ Jesus, as Paul would tell us. So we should respond obediently. And it also does this amazing thing for us is when we act and walk and talk as Christians, when we learn and love as Christians, when we study the word of God as faithful believers who maintain a standard, we are an example to our neighbors and to the community at large. So when they see us, they go, those people are Christians. Now, you know that has implications on either side. Some people are gonna hate you for that, and some people will love it and they'll want in. So it's really important that we maintain that standard. And so last week, as Bee reminded us, Our topic was, are you ashamed of the gospel, which is really important. And we tied that, are you ashamed of the gospel, into a very practical exercise in when you're out and you're around people, whether they be friends or family or neighbors or or, or whoever, and the Holy Spirit's tugging at your heartstrings saying, hey, this person needs to hear the gospel and I have placed you here. It is up to you to respond. It is up to you to tell them about the hope that lives inside of you. And it is that being ashamed that holds us back from being able to say those words. But then of course we're reminded, because we read earlier that Paul has told Timothy, you're not given a spirit of, does anybody remember what the word is? Timidity, we are not given a spirit of timidity, which is like shame that we're given a spirit of, what, power and love and self-discipline. So when we know that that spirit lives inside of us, I think, for me, it makes it easier to share the gospel because then it, it doesn't matter. As long as I've shared it, I realize it's the Holy Spirit who does the work. So when I have a friend or, say, a coworker whose marriage is falling apart and they're like, I don't know what to do, and the simple words are, you need Jesus... That's what worked for me, and I think you'll find that that will work for you. The, the power of the Holy Spirit does all the work, not me. So I don't have to have some great apologetic thing all spelled out, right, and pull my notes out of my pocket, and like, I'm going to give you 100 Bible verses on how to fix your marriage. That's not it. It doesn't take a, a book. You don't have to read the five love languages. Not that it's a bad book, but what's really screwing your marriage up might not be that you're just bad at being married. It might be that you're just not a believer. Because you're not a believer, you don't realize how much he loves you and wants you to glorify him through that connection with one another. What's really screwing your life up with drugs or alcohol might not be the drugs or alcohol. It might be that you have no hope. And because you have no hope, you reach for other things to fill the gap. We've talked about this thing before. Like what do guys do in our circle when they're destructive? Is they try to fill the gap with things that are not godly things that are not christian and when they do that they just head down a road where they're farther and farther from christ and then we see the destruction of their lives ruins their marriage ruins their relationship with their kids you know drugs alcohol all the other things uh, sexual perversion and we know that these are huge problems not just in our military community but in the in the world so That not being ashamed of the gospel is really just recognizing there are people around me who need Jesus and God has allowed me through his grace and his mercy to go, I've pulled you in, you're on the team. I'm letting you help me. He doesn't need your help, by the way. The Holy Spirit could just go touch people and save them. That's it, he doesn't need you. The cool thing is, is he allows you to be a part of that. And what's really rewarding with that as a parent is when you start to see your kids get it as they get older, right? When you start to see your kids really come around and realize just how important Christ is in their lives, you know? And sometimes it's in big ways, sometimes it's in small ways, sometimes it's in prayerful ways or the things that they say. Be in your first ministry. And sometimes it's the people around you uh, um, who you've shared Christ with and they are saved and, and, and you just... Got to be kind of a part, not of saving them, but a part of being the witness to them where God is like, look what I can do when you share me with people. Look at how great I am. It glorifies my name. You got to be a part of that. And I think that's a pretty amazing thing. But Paul's going to shift now. And as we know, real quick, Paul's in prison. He's in a dungeon. He's probably chained to the wall. He's getting treated horribly. Rome is falling apart. Rome hates all the Christians. Now, Paul in one Timothy was very clear about doctrine back then in one Timothy. Like we have to maintain a sound doctrine. It is absolutely essential that we are teaching the right Jesus the right way, and why? Because just like today, as you see with a bunch of the churches, and you probably hear me talk about it too much, and I talk about it a lot, because it's a problem, there are churches teaching the wrong Jesus. They're teaching either a work salvation, which is garbage, or they're teaching you can add to salvation, which is garbage. Or they're teaching that you can do crazy magic things, which is garbage. Or they're teaching that church is experiential and you're supposed to get some magic feeling. Not that I'm against feelings. I, I think feelings are great. I think we should all have some of them. Some of you may have more than others. But the reality is going into church doesn't necessarily make everything better. Right? I mean... Paul's pretty clear that his life has been pretty miserable as a believer. Now you just look at the life of the apostles and try to tell me that an easy believism church here today that teaches you how good your life is going to get, how rich your bank account is going to be, how, better, how much better your health is going to be by believing or having enough faith, and then compare that, juxtapose it with the life of the apostles who were all martyred for their faith. It doesn't make any sense. So it's filthy, it's garbage, and it's a lie. And this is why Paul is fighting this. He's like, you've got to maintain a standard. So we're going to go over that today. So let's go to 2 Timothy 1, and we're going to read three verses today. We're going to read them, and then we're going to reread them, because we're going to go through each one, because each one is filled with a bunch of amazing information. So 2 Timothy 1. We'll start in verse 13. We'll go through 15. And Paul wrote this. Hold to the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. You are aware of this that all who are in Asia turned away from me among whom are phygellus and Hermogenes So very simple, hold to a sound doctrine. The Holy Spirit has put this in you, guard it. And a bunch of people are turning away from me. Seems like you could read it and go, that's very simple. And I think it is. At face value, holding to sound doctrine. It's very, very important. But bear with me if you will. When we start in verse 13, we can see Paul's drilling down on the understanding that there is a standard for doctrine it's essential that there's a standard for doctrine, that we follow as a church, as the church corporately, and then as people in our own walk, we follow closely. So let's start with the first thing here, right? The the word standard here from that verse 13, hold to the standard, is a Greek word that means to to set an example. So not just a standard to strive for, but an example that is set through your words, through your walk, through the example that is set by the church fathers through Paul from Christ, to have an example. It means that the example set in the faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus, are then passed through the apostles and eventually to the church is the example that we should be following. That is the example for how we love one another in the church, how we deal with church issues, how we deal with church leadership, how church leadership is set up. We don't change that. We don't make it our own. We don't add to it. Church leadership is written by the Holy Spirit through Paul in the text. We don't move it around. How we serve people. I mean, Paul is explicitly clear that there is an example that is set and that we are to follow. Right? So then there's not just an an example or a pattern to follow, but an example or pattern in which we should be exemplifying as believers. So for all believers, not just for Paul, not just for Timothy, but for us just walking around in the streets being believers, being husbands, being wives, being kids. When you're around people, there's a way you should act talk walk be as a believer when you're around your friends right because is what you're doing around your peers something that when they saw you they'd say that person is a Christian or are your sharp words something where they'd be like oh they say they're a Christian they go to church but uh, I'm not too sure about that because all of that stuff is not Christian right so we need to be very careful about that so there's not just an example to follow but a pattern for all of us as believers. Church leadership should be setting the example for this to the flock, men setting the example in the home, wives setting the example for their children, and all believers setting the example for fellow believers and non-believers. One of the biggest things I have ever heard in my walk, and I'm sure you guys have heard it too, is like, why don't you go to church? Well, because you're all a bunch of hypocrites. Right, I, I would say yes, we're all a bunch of hypocrites because we're all sinners and there's nothing we can do to be perfect and yes, we're sin- like If you ask me, are you a sinner? I'm going to say yes. Do you sin? Yes. Can you ever stop sinning? Yes. On the other side of eternity after Christ has come back and redeemed me but today, I'm going to sin. Right? I'm probably going to sin some more this afternoon. I'll sin when I wake up in the morning but we strive not to do that. So there's an example we set. It's unwaverable. That example is passed through sound words, which Paul is clear about here, which means reading the word of God, exposing it correctly. And Paul's telling Timothy here that he has heard those words right from his mouth to Timothy's ears. I taught you this. I taught you this, Timothy, pastor of Ephesus, elder of Ephesus. You heard it from me. I got it from Christ. It's up to you to maintain this sound doctrine. And for us, recorded in the word of God. So we have the words here. We have what Timothy had. How much less responsible are we? We have the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. Preserved precisely. And yet we'll go, eh, man, I I don't like that part. That part's a little hard for me. Seems a little legalistic. I don't wanna follow that. No. Paul walked with Christ for three years. Remember this. Christ had been crucified, dead, buried, resurrected gone to heaven, came to Paul and walked with him and taught for him for three years. Paul gives all that information in his letters to us and we want to go, ah, man, I don't, and I don't know. if Paul was right about that. It makes me feel uneasy. I would say that's, that's an awful way to look at it. I would say this is perfectly preserved and we should look at it as God's word and do the very best we can. You expect me, if I'm going to sit here and study and and exposit it, for you expect me to come to you with the truth. I mean, I, I would hope that you expect me not to lie to you, right? So I'm going to study the best that I can, exposit it the best that I can, and give you all of what I possibly can. Not out of my opinion of what the Word of God is, but from what I've gleaned specifically from the text, from the history of the letter, from where Paul was, where Timothy was, what they were doing, and what Christ said to them. And that's it. You don't want me to write on top of it. You don't want me to waver for you or to just make you feel good. How good would it be if we left every Sunday and you just felt great garbage the rest of the week? It doesn't help. It doesn't help you. would Rather that I be honest with you, I hope like you would in any other portion of your life, right? The implication here is that there are sound words. So Paul is saying the sound words in verse 13, hold to the standard of, standard of sound words. So by that, we can assume that there are unsound words as well, right? So if he's saying hold the sound words, then apparently there are some unsound words. And we've talked about this a bit, bit in the past. Paul's very clear. There's things that come from within the church and things that come from outside the church, which are false, and we have to be able to discern those things. So then the question comes to mind for me is, how do we hold to a standard of sound words? That's where it becomes difficult because especially in the information age, I feel bad for our kids. Sorry, I grew up in the 70s and 80s. Like, I, the only way I got unsound words is from my neighbors and my buddies calling me on the phone at home. I didn't have access to an internet that was going to lie to me about stuff all day long, right? I had, somebody had to make effort to lie to me instead of it just posting it on something and it lies to everybody in a moment's notice. So it's a harder world for you guys to live in than it was for many of us who grew up in an age where the information wasn't as readily accessible. So how do we hold to that standard? How do we make sure that in a world where so many religions and practices trying to get us to follow their doctrine, that we're following the right Jesus, that we're practicing the right religion? And I did say the word religion. I know some people say, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. Well, we can talk about that later, but it's a religion, we follow it, we practice it. It is Christianity and it's a religion. And I'm okay with that because Christ saved me. So I'm gonna do my best to follow what he has for me. So it's okay. You can have a relationship too, but let's be honest. So I want to give you an example of how we hold to a standard of sound words, right? This is actually pretty neat. And you may have heard this before, so I hope it's not a recap of something you've heard. If it is, just bear with me. So I went to the Secret Service website. If you've ever been to the Secret Service website, you can actually look and find out how they determine what counterfeit bills look like. It's actually, it's actually really cool. they got this big chart. And you could find out how they study to find counterfeit bills. And if you didn't know, you'd think it's some other... It's the Secret Service who does counterfeiting for the nation. And this is what I found out. (coughs) The style bill we're using right now is the 2004 style Federal Reserve Note. So that's what a a bill is actually called. It's an FRN, Federal Reserve Note. Each one of those incorporate a background of colors and large borderless images. U.S. currency paper consists of 25% linen and 75% cotton. And it contains small randomly dispersed red and blue security fibers embedded through the paper. The 2004 FRN, Federal Reserve Note, have enlarged an off-centered portrait without a frame. They have a watermark that's visible from either side when held up to the light. The 10s, 20s, 50s, and 100s have color-shifting ink that shifts from copper to green as the note is tilted 45 degrees. I didn't realize that. I'm going to have to try this out. 100s have color-shifting bell in the inkwell, and the 5 does not color shift. All Federal Reserve notes, except for the one in the $2 bill, have clear thread embedded vertically on the paper. The thread is inscribed with the denomination of the note and is visible only when held to the light. Each has a unique thread position and it glows a completely different color when held up to UV light. The 100 has blue ribbon woven in and when it's tilted back and forth, the bells and the 100s move side to side And if you tilt it side to side, the bells in the room move up and down on the hundreds. And the list goes on. You can read that thing and it just like, there is tons of stuff about how a bill, especially the 100s, it just makes sense. Like if you're going to counterfeit something, if you're going to counterfeit ones, you're a dummy. We need to talk. You need Jesus. If you're going to counterfeit the hundreds, you got to get it right. There's a lot of stuff you need to follow. And that list is extensive. So what am I getting at? Is there's a pattern. There's a standard. And how the Secret Service learns that each one is counterfeit or that money is not real is how they know the real money really, really well. Anything that is not real stands out. You see what I'm getting at? They know the real money so well that when encountered with something that is fake, something that is counterfeit, something that is not real, that it easily stands out, sticks out like a sore thumb. Imagine if you could do that with your walk with Christ as you're looking at doctrine, as you're looking at other religions, as you're looking at people presenting you with other ways, and when they say it to you, even though you might not know a verse or a chapter or an address or whatever, you know the word of God so well because you write it on your heart so often because we study so well because you listen hard and you take notes and you study and you go home and you read and every morning you pour him into you that when something comes to you that's not right, you just, in your mind, you're like, that's, there's something wrong about that. And if you've ever had the chance to contend with people in your circle, which I do because I've got family members who are not... Believers in the faith that we are Catholic and Mormon uh, uh, folks in our family. Who before I ever studied any of it to see the great differences. When they would say it you can go that there's something not right about that. So you don't have to become an apologist in everybody else's stuff. If you know yours really well. If you know your God really well. This is how we hold to the sound words from the word of God. Knowing that through reading and deep learning. So when we're faced with false teaching, we can see it's not from Jesus. Moving on to verse 14, it says this. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. I think this is amazing. John Calvin's commentary. It says this about Paul's exhortation to Timothy, specifically relating to verse 14. It says he exhorts Timothy to consider what God has given him. And to bestow care and application in proportion to the high value of what which has been committed. For when the thing of it is little value, we won't call anyone to strict account. And I know the language here might seem weird because it was written like 500 years ago. But when we realize the value of what's been done for us in Christ Jesus, we realize the value of maintaining sound doctrine because he paid his life for us. Our response and obedience is, I know what you did for me. Therefore, I'm going to strive for the upward call. So what is the treasure that dwells in us? or The treasure that we've been entrusted with? It's the truth of the gospel that's been put in you. right? It's made up of that word. If you look at it in Greek, is made up of two Greek words, kalos, or that which is beautiful, or an outward sign of an inward good. An outward side of an inward good. What's in you that people can see because it's so good. Something noble. The second word, paratheke, is to deposit something for someone's safekeeping. So somebody has put something good in you for your safekeeping that's going to rise up out of you. And people are going to see it. Does that make sense? The Father puts the Holy Spirit inside of you when you are saved. He dwells in you. He lives in you. And it is so good that people are going to see it. But also, he's entrusted it to you for your care. He's entrusted the Holy Spirit for your care. He's entrusted the truth for your care. Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't need your care. He's, he's God. It's a he, right? Not a thing. Not an it's God. Live dwelling in you. But still, he says, I'm putting this in you, and the Holy Spirit's got the power, but I want you to consciously care for what I have done, what I have placed in you. God's giving us the truth of the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're being called to guard it, to be careful, careful what you listen to. Remember that old saying? I don't know if they say this anymore in school. When we were kids, it's, you are what you eat. right? Apparently they do. So you are what you eat. You are what you read. You are what you watch. You are who you hang around with. You are what you say, right? What comes out of your mouth is what's coming out of your heart. That's right. Coming out of your heart. So be careful what words you speak. Remember? Sometimes we come together in the church and we act a certain way, and then when we're not in the church, we act another way. Like our words are really sharp, our actions are really sharp. We need to be very careful how we treat others. Be careful what we're believing in. You know, we act like believers when we're here. We need to be careful what we're letting in from the outside. Jesus said to us in John 17, 17, these are the words of Christ, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That is what he's put inside of you, the truth. He told us in John 8, this is Jesus' words, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, Right? We've heard that before. That is the truth that he has entrusted you, that he's put inside of you, that we're guarding. And when you look at this in light of John Calvin's words that I just read to you, you begin to understand the value of the truth that's put in us is directly related to the price that was paid for the truth that is put in you, just paid by Christ with his blood. That's how he paid it. It's the price that Christ paid so that the Holy Spirit could dwell in us as believers. And I think we really minimize this as the contemporary church. We really set it aside. It's being minimized in Paul's time as well, which is why he's telling people how important it is. You and I were purchased with his death. Not just his suffering. We can talk through that. and You've heard me say it before. Not just the fact that he's beaten with a cat of nine tails until the flesh is ripped from his back to the bones that he probably already had access to the polar space through the muscle being gone through the back and the intercostals being torn apart, that he was dying tied to a post, whipped, bones, nails, spikes, whatever else were on that. I mean, they whipped him to the point of almost death and then told him to carry his cross to Golgotha. I mean, he was in no fit condition to do so. Not just that pain, not just the pain of spikes being driven through his hands and his feet. Not just the pain of hanging, suffocating on the cross. Not just the pain of being pierced by a sword. And when you put all those together, you like, how can a man endure that? That's not, that doesn't even scratch the surface. Remember, he endures the pain of the wrath of the Father poured on him. No man could do this. Only God could do it. So you imagine every sin that you've committed plus every sin you've committed, plus every sin you've committed, and you've committed, and you've committed, and you've committed, and and everybody else, and we stack them all together with everybody in the world that is in Christ, and then we smash Jesus with all of them. Murderers, rapists, child diddlers, mass murderers, Satanists, liars, thieves, people who cheat on their spouses, take all of their sin, all of those people who were saved and are in Christ, and we smash Christ with them. The father did that with his wrath. That's the pain he endured. So when we tell ourselves we don't have to maintain sound doctrine, what we say is, hey, everything that you did, really the the price wasn't high enough for me. I don't really need to believe everything that you said or follow it. Like you could have paid a little more. That's how important it is. And I know that seems like a grotesque way to put it, but is it not the truth? Tell me if I'm wrong. We develop an easy believism and a greasy grace in churches and separate ourselves from the truth and thinking that you're forgiven for a lack of obedience. You simply are not. If you are not obedient, you are not in Christ. That is a fact. Churches like to be like, well, don't be judgmental. You know, there's grace and everything. Stop. It's not true. If you are blatantly disobedient to God, you are not saved. We need to be reminded regularly about Jesus' explicit words in John 8. People don't like hearing this, but it should weigh on your heart. If you abide in my word, then you are my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. If you abide in my word, what if you don't abide in his word? I'm sorry. Let's be clear. Those who are not abiding in his word, those who are twisting it for their own gain or to lead people astray, they are not in Christ, period. They are not believers, period. We cannot follow them, period. Don't partner with them, period. Don't pay them, period. They're not a part of your life. I'm not saying we don't love our enemies. Love your enemies. They all need Jesus, too. That's an important part of this message, but we are going to stick to sound doctrine because that's what Christ has for us. We can love them, we can tell them the truth, but be careful to guard the treasure that's been entrusted to you. He put that treasure inside of you and it's up to you to guard it. There's a lot of people out there that will smile in your face and I know you know this, they will smile in your face and you'll tell you that they're sharing whatever they they have for you because they love Jesus and they're lying. They're lying out of their own selfishness, their own desire for money, their own desire for fame, their own desire for power, or out of their ignorance. ignorance. And what is the litmus litmus test? The litmus test is to compare them to the word of God. If it disagrees with this book, it's not true, period. There's a lot of people out there, they will argue, they they will try to argue it away. Compare them to the standard of sound words, which you've heard from Paul, as he says earlier, in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Paul makes a great example of this sort of apostasy or issues of heresy by telling Timothy of two guys specifically who are apparently known, and both of them, or may have been popular in the church in Asia, because he's speaking about Asia kind of at large here. Um, Asia really is uh, modern-day Turkey, so that's where Ephesus is. It's where Galatia was, right? So Paul's done missionary journeys through here. Timothy's living there. Then Christianity is there. But it's a problem. It's coming unglued. Verse 15 says here, You are aware of this, that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Vigelis and Hermogenes. All who are in Asia turned away from me. All who are in Asia. (laughs) It's a very well-traveled part of the world. A lot of sea villages, sea ports. It was Romanized. The church is turning from the truth. And the church has been there for like 30-plus years, and it was growing, and now it's dwindling quickly. So it grew, and it started to dwindle. And we don't really know much about these two guys, by and Hermogenes, except that they were known, because obviously he says, you know these guys, I'm bringing them up to you. And they apparently held an important enough role in the Church of Asia to have caused an impact or some sort of falling away, possibly leading a bunch of people astray. It would be just like us calling somebody like Joel Olstein out today. Like, I am calling that guy out because he is teaching incorrectly. That is not Christian. He has fallen away from the truth. And what will people say to you today if you say that in their home and they're a follower of his? Oh, you're just being judgmental. No. No, I'm telling you the truth. That's what I'm telling you. Don't follow that. It's wrong. They've fallen away. We've seen this before with the truth. Jesus, he's teaching in John 6. This is Jesus, during Jesus' time. He's teaching in John 6. And at one point, a bunch of disciples didn't like what he was being taught. And in verse 66, this is John 6, 66. It's kind of funny. Um, he records these words. As a result of his many... uh, As a result, many of his disciples went away, and they were not walking with him anymore. They are sitting with God, and he is telling them who he is, and how to live as believers, and how to love as believers, and they're like, I don't like that teaching, and they get up, and they leave. So how much more apt are they to walk away from a true believer who's a human if they're willing to sit at the feet of the almighty God and be like, I don't like what you have to teach. I'm going to walk away. I would rather spend an eternity in hell than have to change what I have here to follow you. That is insane to me. But in our depravity, of course, it's understandable. It was interesting because I shared an article this week. If, if you're on social media, I know some of you really aren't much, but if you're on social media, I shared this article. Actually, it was Carol that sent it to me, and it was about money and how it's tied in with contemporary Christian music. You already, I won't share my thoughts on contemporary Christian music. You already know those. But she shared this article with me that ties in particularly Bethel, Hillsong, and Elevation. I, there was one other one and how like the pastors have figured out a way in the business part of the production of the music to put their names into the ownership of songs. If you know, like if you go to church and you're standing there in the music, I don't like to call it worship because I think people have used that word incorrectly, but if you're standing there at the front when the rock show is going on, when they have the words up on the screen, when the song starts, it'll usually have the name on the bottom. And then on one side or the other, it'll have whatever the production company is on the bottom. And it'll tell you where it's from. The big production company that does most of them for the United States is out of Bethel. I can't remember what the name of the production company is. But anyway, every time a church utilizes that stuff, they get money. Every single time. You raise your hands and close your eyes and get that wiggly feeling, the church is being paid for that song. But consider this. Those pastors have figured out a way to tie their personal name into the music. This article, is, it'll blow your mind. It'll make your skin crawl. So that now every time that song is getting played, not just does the production company get money, that person gets paid. And that's why you have guys like this heretic in Charlotte um, who's worth like $55 million and lives in a $2 million mansion. Because they figured out a way to make a business out of the church without really even doing anything. It's shocking how much money they're making from this. It's not, not the church, the pastor, the guy. The guy's making money off of you trying to be a believer, trying to sing praises to God. They're making money off of you. I don't know how you feel about that. That makes me mad. It makes me mad that I sat at a table the other night with families who are sitting in churches in our area and they are singing those songs, sitting in churches where their pastors don't care and the money is going to some dude to make him a millionaire. And they're just trying their best to offer up their best to our God. And nobody will tell them what a scam it has become. So anyway, I shared this thing on social media. I didn't really make a lot of comments. I just made a couple of comments like we need to be held accountable. Pastors should be held accountable. Fathers should be held accountable. And ladies, if you listen to this music, just know where it's coming from. Be careful to be connected to it. And then the comments that I got on some of them, I, heard, I saw things like judgmental, legalistic, and religious. People in my circle. This is what they're telling me that I am. Judgmental, legalistic, and religious. (laughs) Yes, yes, and yes. Um, So I encourage those folks because I'll reply not with something nasty because it doesn't work, right? I just encourage them. Look up the words judgmental, legalistic, and religious because those words all have implications. You should know what they are. Things like legalistic and religion have to do biblically with trying to earn favor with God or gain salvation, so... Calling somebody out is neither of those things. And then judgmental, I mean, we are called as Christians to judge. And I know people, you know, we've gone down that road before. You need to be judging things. You need to know what the truth is. And then one of the things we need to remind people of is give them Bible references to support the fact that we're called to protect the flock from false teachers. We attended that Life Care Pregnancy Center Gala on Friday, which was beautiful. I told you about that already. It was awesome. They raised money for a great cause, and I love them, and Chad and B were there with us, and it was amazing. The keynote speaker was a lady named Amy Ford from Embrace Grace. She's a Texan. She started a ministry. <laughs> um, it's a countrywide ministry and it teaches churches how to love and embrace single and pregnant young women. and she's a charismatic fun, great speaker. We met her beforehand. This, she is lovely. And you could tell she was from Texas just walking up onto the stage. We were talking about this after. Like she's got, she looked like she walked like out of the Dallas airport into Pinehurst, like the sequence. And then the first words in the microphone were, hey y'all. <laughs> she's a very sweet lady. I spoke with her before. She told me she was out of a gateway church in Texas. And I didn't ring a bell uh, at the moment. And I was not familiar with the name of gateway church. It just hadn't hit me, but there were spots that she spoke about that I continue to reflect and continue to reflect over the night, I kept hearing some things said and when she said things like the Lord told me, the Lord told me, the Lord told me. We'll get into that at some other point at some other study, but I always get careful with what comes after the Lord told me. I mean, I could tell you the Lord told me to hold true to sound doctrine because the Lord told me because he wrote it in the book and this is the word of god it is the Theonustos. john 1 1 he is the word but when i say the lord told me to do something i need to be careful what comes out next right because if he tells you to do something and it's inconsistent with the word of god then well that wasn't the lord that told you somebody might have told you something but it wasn't god or your life Anyway, those spots had me cringing a little bit. Her books were available to everybody there and uh, her ministry was advertised. I looked up Gateway Church when I came home because I was wondering and I couldn't remember what it was. And then as soon as I pulled it up and saw a picture of the guy, I was like, no. It's a guy named Robert Morris. He's a well-known guy. He's part of the New Apostolic Reformation, which if you don't know much about that, they believe that there are apostles today and they're being apostolic and doing all the things apostles do and they're going to, bring in the next coming of Christ through their church by making the world a better place through their works. Um, He denies the deity of Christ. I actually watched a little video. Completely denies the deity of Christ. Remember when we studied Philippians, we talked about Christ emptying himself. So he uses things like the New Living Translation to support his idea that when Christ came, when he was incarnate, that he gave up his divinity. So he's just a man, and that he needed to be baptized by the Holy Spirit to do anything. Which is totally antithetical to the Word of God. There's a hundred scriptural, a thousand scriptural references that show. Jesus is God, he is Yahweh, he's always been God. Um, He is fully God, and he is fully man. Right? He is the hypostatic union. Good theology supports that. He believes God speaks to him directly. Some of the videos I watched were insane. Some of the things that God was telling him to do. Telling him to do things. Um, He tells his congregation that they're stealing from God if they do not tithe to that local church. You see where this is going? And a bunch more issues. So why do I bring it up? Are we going to stop supporting the Life Care Pregnancy Center? No, we're going to support the Life Care Pregnancy Center. They're a good cause. It's the only place in this area where these girls have to go and we're able to have a positive impact. I bring it up to show you how easy it is to be led astray. Because even me sitting there and I'm listening to this woman and she is a dynamic, charismatic, beautiful lady, lots of positive words, saying Jesus regularly. And I'm like, this is great. What she's doing is great. But I bring it up to show you that even a seemingly good cause, you can find people denying the truth. It's that easy. I don't know how many people left that night that'll take her book, know she's at a gateway church, start watching Robert Moore's videos, and what happens when they're led astray if they're not believers yet? Who's responsible? That's that's a tough question to answer, which is why I don't think pastors should play that... Junk music in their church. Who's responsible for leading people astray? See this guy, Robert Morris, he's worth over 10 million. Some reports say up to 50. How many people listen to her words are gonna be led astray? It concerns me greatly, concerns me greatly that we, all of us in this room, are sometimes more concerned about how much money we're making at work, or how we're doing at work, or our business life, or even just the simple things in our family Our home, the upkeep of our home, our cars, buying a new car, whatever that thing might be, that we're more worried about the things in life than we are about our own salvation. You'll spend more time investigating purchasing a car than you will put into the word of God in a week. You'll spend more time doing home upkeep on your home than learning about your savior. You'll spend more time focused on the things that are all gonna disintegrate than you will the one who saved your life it concerns me greatly because we're called to maintain a standard we're called to have sound doctrine jesus loves us he desires for us to abide in him he's craving you and he's reaching out to you sitting there on your bedside table you know it's like it should have a blinking light on it that says read me read me It's like he's calling to you. I've got this. I'm going to show you that I came for you and died for you. Not how to get to me. He doesn't have to show you how to get to him. He did that for you. He desires for you to abide in him. And many people are going to turn away from you in your walk when you hold to that standard. But that's okay. Look, Paul is saying what? How much of Asia turned away from Paul? All of them. He didn't say, hey, some of the churches in Asia aren't doing well. <laughs> he was like, hey, the church in Asia, they don't want me there anymore because I told them the truth. Can you imagine, and you're worried, if you're ashamed of the gospel, about sharing the gospel with somebody that's in your family, of them saying, eh, I don't need you to tell me your religious junk. You're worried about one person turning you away? Paul had a whole continent basically saying, Uh, We don't want to hear you anymore. Imagine. People are going to say you're religious. People are going to say you're a Pharisee. People are going to say you're judgmental. It's okay. I know where we're going. I know where we're going. And those words, they they don't hurt. They don't hurt. Because they're said in love. Because we love people and we want to share the truth with them. Because we want them saved. I love you guys, which is why we're doing this. Because I love you. I want these kids to grow up in Christ. I want my kids to grow up. I want your kids to grow up in Christ. I want you to become closer to your Savior. I want you to be closer to your Savior. So that when all the bad stuff comes, you can be like, I've got hope in Christ. It's going to be tough. Because I love you. I love my wife. I love my children. And I want them to abide in him. And I don't want to see any of you torn away by false teachers. It really does break my heart how bad we're doing as a church with this stuff. Pull up, Google Christianity right now. Google the biggest churches in America right now. It's awful what is going on. It's so much false doctrine. I don't want to see you torn away by And I know it's tough because you're like, it just seems so judgmental. It just seems like it's not loving to turn all these people away. And then you put it in perspective of what's going on with Paul and you're like, yeah, I know, it's tough. The only way to hold to the standard of sound words is to study them. We're called to study them, to know them, to read them regularly and to know our Savior so well, to know our Savior so well that everything else is just glaringly obvious. That's where you should want to be in your walk, that you know your Savior so well that when something else is not him, that when you look at it, you go, that's not Jesus. Even if it's in a church. Even if it's in a church. Father God, I am thankful for you today. And these tough words sometimes are hard for us. They're hard because we wanna be easy and loving and accepting of everybody. And we want to uh, not seem judgmental and not seem religious. Father God, we just, we want to glorify your name, Lord, through our actions, through our study, through our love, through our walk, but we also want people to know we love them sometimes by being honest with them, and we just ask that you would give us that power to not be ashamed of the gospel, that we would share the truth with them that is based in the sound doctrine you have given us in the scriptures, the scriptures that came from your Holy Spirit through Paul, to Timothy, to the apostles who were the pillars of the faith father we just beg you lord to give us that boldness to be the christians that we can be in our family and in our community that others would see how much we love one another that we're willing to hold a standard even when it's tough father we love you and we thank you for this amazing time we get to spend together weekly learning and breaking bread And we're thankful for your son, Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.